Cincinnati Zoo Tales. I'm Jenna. And I'm Mark. Thanks to everyone out there for tuning in for another episode. Jenna, today we're focusing on the garden side yes. of the Cincinnati Zoo and Botanical Garden. Yes, we don't highlight that quite enough. I know, it's kind of brushed under the rug, but we're here to shine some light on it. We're being joined by Megan Philpot. Megan is um, a PhD and postdoc scientist at our crew, the Center for Research of Endangered Wildlife. She's a conservation scientist there, so we know you're extremely busy. Thank you so much for taking the time to come and meet with us. We appreciate it. Thank you guys, I'm excited. And smart. Whenever we have the crew people on, I'm like intimidated because uh, you guys are so intelligent. Nah. <laughs> no, we need to button up today, Jenna. Yeah. We gotta be a little more professional uh -uh. today. <laughs> but yeah, thanks for coming and yeah. we have a lot to talk about, but we always try and start off like asking our guests, how did they get to the job they are at? Like, especially as a scientist working with endangered plants, like half the time we don't even know that these jobs exist and mm -hmm. we work here. So tell us about your job, how you got there, how you were interested in plants or that sort of thing. Yeah. I have like a really weird backstory. So oh, I'm just going to go best. over it. <laughs> I like when I started going to college, I like really wanted to go into fashion design. And so no. I went to school for three years for fashion design and did all these jobs. And like we would intern and I would go on the internships and I'd be like, I hate this. This is awful. Oh. <laughs> That's what so college is for, right? That's the best part about internships. Like. Yeah. I know. And so I would like go walking in the forest and I'd be like, what do I want to do with my life? Like, this is so stressful. I'm like three years into college. I can't be having these thoughts. And like, I was like, I like being here in the forest. Mm -hmm. And so I just like blew everything up, changed my major to biology. And I tried to get into like plant science as much as I could, like working with different professors, like wheedling my way into their offices, working in their labs. And then when I graduated, I had the opportunity to um, go to grad school while working here at Crew at the zoo. And it was so cool. It was like science fiction to me. Like, we're doing what? You're right. Yeah. <laughs> That's always my question. What? <laughs> because like a lot of what we do is crazy. We're growing like rare plants in test tubes, which is so sci-fi. And we're like freezing plants in cryopreservation. I heard of cryopreservation is like that's what Walt Disney did with his head, right? <laughs> he was like, we're doing it with plants. That's awesome. Yeah, so yeah. I just, like, got in here in grad school, and I just, like, planted. What year was that? <laughs> um, I started grad school in 2013. Okay. And then I graduated in 2018 and started as a postdoc, which is, like, a post graduate like training program and then I like held on for dear life and stuck around I'm still here. Amazing. yeah you've been here for a while I feel like I did that too it's like nope I'm, I'm gonna take I'm whatever staying. I can get I'm, I'm not going anywhere <laughs> did it so when you were three years into your fashion design did you have to do another four years of biology or how much did that inter like Oh, I Overlap. was, like, big borrowing and stealing. I was, like, taking classes over the summer. I think I took an entire year of physics and an entire year of organic chemistry, like, in one summer. Oh, like, gosh, one three-month session. Yeah, that's it was. Like the, you were dedicated. It's got to be the worst summer ever. Oh, my gosh. It was not good. Did I learn much? No. Yeah, right. <laughs> I, don't, I don't really know what but I learned in college either. I checked that box. <laughs> I shouldn't say that out loud. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I feel the same way, but... It, I got through it in like two years, though. So. That's awesome. Good for you. So yeah, when you came here, were you like, did you know what you were signing up for? Or were you, was it like one of those things where you just learn as you go through grad school? Or did you like... I never have any idea what I'm doing, barely. <laughs> so I'm just like always like careening off into like one direction and trying to figure it out as I go. So I had like, like I said, I had no idea. I like had this idea in my mind of like, I want to save plants. Like I want to do plant conservation. But I didn't know what that actually meant. Okay, yes, that's what I would want to know. And so it's been a lot of learning on the go. And the cool thing about like the work that we're doing is that I feel like I never feel like complacent. I never feel like I totally 100% understand what I'm doing and I feel mm. confident, but I like that feeling like that's fun. It's fun to like figure things out constantly. Yes. So yeah, I, I never know what I'm doing. There's always like a new challenge to take on. <laughs> that's yeah, a better way to exciting. put it. Sure. Yeah. That's <laughs> exciting. I'll be curious when you guys are at crew kind of like deciding what you're going to work on. Is that like a decision that you get to make through your research or is it kind of like a decision made with higher ups in mind of like these projects we want to work on or is it a little bit of both maybe I don't know yeah it's kind of a little bit of both so we're 
really specialized in the work that we're doing. And there aren't a lot of people, I mean, there aren't a lot of people in the United States that are doing this kind of conservation work. There aren't a lot of people in the world that are. And so a lot of times agencies will reach out to us and say, we have this plant and we're having trouble growing it. So we focus primarily on what we call exceptional species. So if you think about plants, when we're talking about plant conservation, the gold standard of plant conservation is saving things in their habitat. I mean, that's like the gold standard of any conservation, right? You want to like protect the habitat, but that's so hard to do. Like in practice, it's expensive. It sometimes is just like not even a possibility. And so ex situ conservation, like zoos, we're taking the animals or the plants out of their habitat and we're conserving them somewhere else where we can keep them a little safer and have a little more control over them. For plants, a lot of the time, they're kind of easy because they produce seeds and you can just like throw those in a freezer and like that plant (laughs) is like preserved forever. But exceptional species, you can't seed bank them. So they're like the weirdos kind of, right? They're the ones that tend to fall through the cracks. They're hard to work with. They require specialized knowledge. They are more expensive to work with a lot of the time. And so people will just kind of like work around them and like be like, well, somebody else will catch that one. I'm going to like get all the easier plants to work with. And so when somebody comes across one of those plants at a management agency, a lot of the times they'll like call us and be like, please help. (laughs) We need some help with this guy. So that's like one, a lot of like the projects that we work with, but we also do a lot of our own grant writing and direct our own projects. So right now we have a grant from the Institute of Museum and Library Services that's allowing us to just like delve into oak conservation for three full years and it is really fun and I'm learning a ton about oaks as we do it. So all oaks are exceptional species so we can't seed bank any oaks. I mean there's just like no backup seed bank for oaks so we think of them as like this super ubiquitous tree Mm -hmm. but if something came and wiped them all out tomorrow like we don't have a backup. Wow. That's scary to think about. I know. didn't want to interrupt you because you were just Sorry. sharing. No, no, no. <laughs> I didn't want to interrupt you because you're sharing such good information. I love how you explained like ex situ conservation and how that works. And um, I think it's a really good point to make. And that was one of my questions I wanted to ask you about and have you explain to the listeners what seed banking is exactly. Yeah. You made it sound super simple, but tell us a little bit more about seed banking. And then I have it, more questions. Yeah, it can be super simple. So like people can do it in their own house. For a lot of plants, you can go collect the seeds, so wait until the seeds are ripe, which is usually like when the fruit gets like nice and dry and papery for a lot of seeds or the fruit is ripe. Whatever it is, you go and collect them when the seeds are ready, and then you dry them down because you want to get as much moisture out of those seeds as possible because moisture is going to, number one, mold (laughs) if they stick around for too long, and number two moisture and like water inside of your cells lets your cells keep like working and moving and seeds when we want to seed bank them and keep them for a long time we want to stop that metabolism as much as possible also really interesting but they're still i don't know if this is the correct word but alive like so you dry them out so they the cells stop working but they're still alive like that's interesting they just need you give them a little more water and they're like all right we're gonna (laughs) get up again i'll start making a tree whatever So then once they're dried down, then because there's no water in there, you can throw them in a freezer. And that prolongs, I mean, freezers prolong all kinds of things for a long time, (laughs) right? And so the the other reason that you want to dry things down in seed banking before you freeze them is that when you freeze water, it forms ice crystals and they're like pokey. Oh, Uh. yes. And so if you think about like taking a um, piece of celery that's like super crunchy and delicious and you throw it in your freezer and you take it out again, it's still a piece of celery, but it's going to be like mush, right? And that's because it was full of water. All those cells were full of water. And when the water froze, they just formed these ice crystals that poked all of the delicate little cell membranes and all the good stuff in the cells flowed right out and it doesn't have any structure anymore. So you're trying to prevent that from happening too by drying down the seeds. So then once they're in the freezer, usually they can survive. I mean, some seeds can survive for hundreds of years. We have like doomsday seed vaults like up in like permafrost. That, I've heard of this before. Yeah. Yeah. That we can just like dry down these seeds and put them there and they're like, good. <laughs> they're fine That's forever. Incredible. But then the exceptional plants are the ones that you can't do that with. So sometimes an exceptional plant they don't produce seeds. So if there's no seeds, then you can't seed bank them. Sometimes that drying or that freezing is really not 
amenable to the plant surviving, okay. right? So oak trees, they produce acorns, that's fine, but then you can't dry those acorns down. Okay. And so that's where this alternative method has to come into play. When you say a seed doesn't have a pl- or a plant doesn't have a seed, what? Can you give us an example? How does it how does it, how does it propagate? Yes. Yeah, like Well, sometimes like naturally like things like you know ferns and mosses they propagate by spores spores. yeah okay so sometimes naturally they don't have seeds sometimes we work with um we one of our past grants was working with hawaii (laughs) and like plants in hawaii are on like another plane of existence level threatened that like you can't even conceive of and one of the species that we work with there there's three plants left in the wild. (laughs) Like, literally three individuals. So sometimes when they get down to, like, such a low amount of individuals, they just can't, like, reproduce and produce Mm -hmm. seeds anymore. There's not enough genetic diversity left Mm -hmm. in the population. Sometimes something happens to the pollinator. That's happening more and more. Like, pollinators are going extinct, or climate change is causing habitats to shift. And so the pollinators aren't matching up with the plant habitat anymore. And if they don't have a pollinator... They can't get pollinated. They can't produce fruit and seeds. Wow. Yeah. That makes sense. Somebody might be asking, like, what does it matter if those three plants in Hawaii disappear? Like, do you have an answer or a thought about that? Yeah. I have, like, multiple tiers of answers to that question. Let's hear it. Let's hear it. (laughs) (laughs) Depending on how, like, into conservation you already are. The bottom tier is that plants provide a lot of, like good to us. There are medicines, there are food, we build our houses with plants. And so if we let all of these plants go extinct, especially before we really know anything about them, then Valerie, our director, likes to say it's like throwing your Christmas presents away before you open them. Like you don't know what you're missing. That's like the very baseline answer, right? Mm -hmm. The next level up is that ecosystems are really like complex and difficult to model things and so we don't really know what's going to happen if we take one species out of it Mm -hmm. like it could be a total cascade effect of Mm -hmm. like things failing down the line my very top answer and like why i believe it is like we save them because they exist you know what I, I mean? I love that. I love you. You're like that should be all it takes, already. Right? That should be all it takes. You're so passionate and smiley. I wish you all could see her. I love it. <laughs> we just like there's like an incredible amount of biodiversity on Earth, and like you walk out even in like the middle of the city, and like you'll see all kinds of different birds and insects and trees and flowers, and it's mind-boggling. And like we should just keep those existing because they exist, and it's awesome. Yes, yeah. I agree. I love that answer. Yes, all. All life has the right to exist, right? Yeah. yeah. So the exceptional plants, how do people decide? So they're the ones that you guys are working with. Mm-hmm. How do people notice or decide that these plants are disappearing? If there's, you know, if you go in the forest and you still see 50 oaks, like yeah. who's paying attention that 10 years ago? Or do you like, yeah, that's a big question, but that how is are people really noticing these plants are disappearing? I mean, sometimes we don't like, that's the scary thing, right? Sometimes like a plant will like go extinct or, or a population will decline to the point of extinction. And like, we just don't notice until it's gone. Now, a lot of state agencies will go out and like monitor these plants. So like, thank mm-hmm. God for our state botanists because they are like keeping tabs on all of these plants for us. I didn't know that was a job either. State <laughs> botanists, yeah. there you go. That's like a dream job. <laughs> and the other scary thing is how do we know plants are exceptional like in seed banks? Because it's one thing if a plant isn't producing seeds, like obviously it's going to be exceptional. Right. The other scary thing is that sometimes a seed, you can dry it down, you can freeze it, I mean, you can put it in a seed bank, and it works for a while. Like, it will survive in a seed bank for one year or five years or ten years. We assume, when we put those seeds in there, that they're going to survive for hundreds of years. And so we need to take seeds out every so often and test them for germination. And what we're finding more and more is that a lot of the seeds that we banked and we thought were seed bankable actually, like, are very short-lived in that storage. So basically there's an expiration date on it. Yeah. And that's such a long game because, you know, you wait a year. Let's just pick a sunflower, right? So you let's say you seed bank a sunflower seed and you 
check it at a year and th but then you have to pull it out and grow the sunflower yeah. right so or it may not grow or you check it at five years and yeah. then you just like it's not like you can just pull it out and test it right you have to like yeah. plant it and then wait for it to oh, that's like patience and you have to like, test it enough that you can like find out that they're starting to decline before all of the seeds that you have banked are dead oh yes that's smart and like the more that we're doing this and being aware of these issues when we first coined the term exceptional plants we coined it because it was like they're the exception to the rule there's now like so many species we're finding fall into this category that they start to have that expiration date in a seed bank that actually the plants that can be seed banked are becoming the exception to the rule wow which is wow. like scary what a so it's flipped. It's yeah. <clears throat> yeah it is oh my gosh so i'm so thankful we have people like you that are figuring <laughs> all of this out so I was reading your project. I don't know if, I do not even expect <laughs> you to know the title. It was like five pages long. Not really. It's yeah. like a full sentence <laughs> long, really the project long. title. Do you know it? Can you tell us? Um, do you know the short no. version? <laughs> it's, it's so long. It's like building the oak seed bank or cryobank. It's something like that. It, yes, I, <laughs> I didn't know that. about oaks. Well, I didn't really expect you to because it was so long, but... Did somebody reach out to you guys about the oaks? I didn't realize oaks were endangered or like yeah. what made you guys start this project and you received a grant for it, correct? Yeah. So we have a three year grant for it. We've been working with oaks for like a, a long time for a couple reasons. Like I think something like 40% of our oak species in the United States are threatened in some way. Mm -hmm. So like there are some scary things happening and there's scary things on the horizon like there's a disease called sudden oak death which oh like gosh. could not be like more like as dr dramatic as can be <laughs> like know. that is scary <laughs> sudden oak death so that is thankfully on the west coast only right now but like it's probably coming our way what is causing that usually it's just a a pathogen or a fungus or so this happens to trees like fairly often now that gets imported on accident like either through lumber that comes from some other part of the world or like horticultural species and then it jumps to our wow, native species okay. and our native species just have never experienced it it's totally novel and it just like hits them like a train and is there anything you can do you know animals we can give medication or try and figure something out is if if somebody catches that they have Sudden death, what is it? Sudden, Sudden oak death. death disease. Do Is there anything you can do at that point? Or is it by the time you notice it, it's... I mean, so it depends. It depends. There's a lot of different, um, there's a lot of different approaches you can take. It depends on like when you catch things. And so for example, the, um, the ash trees, which are being attacked right now mm -hmm. in our forest by emerald ash borer, you can treat those. Like you can kind of like bump the trees full of like the anti-emerald ash borer. Okay. But you have to treat them like every single year it's really expensive you have to keep up with it and like that's fine like my parents do it to an ash tree they really love in their front yard uh, but like it's not viable for an entire forest yeah you're right? not gonna be doing yeah. it in our forests right yeah. and so it kind of depends and one example i like to bring up a lot is the american chestnut tree so that used to be completely ubiquitous like dominated so many of our forests just chestnuts all over the place right and then in the 1900s a fungus was imported on accident and it just wiped them out like immediately just spread like wildfire through all of these and so this tree that we thought was like the main most common tree in our forest all of a sudden they're gone they're 100 percent gone wow. and something like that could hit oaks so yeah. we think you know i see red oaks all over the place they're not like endangered but we don't know it's coming okay so it's pre like preparation, they're not necessarily, I mean, there's a 40% decrease in a lot of the species you said, or the different types of oaks. Yeah. Um, and is a lot of that due to habitat loss currently, or? So much of it, yeah, a lot of it is due to habitat loss. So like oaks like to live where we like to like build our houses and everything. That's a major problem. Um, climate change is becoming a bigger and bigger issue. So a lot of like, this is an issue for everything, right? Like our habitats are kind of getting push north with climate change and it's one thing for that to happen to like animals or insects that like have legs generally right. and can move <laughs> that can't happen mm. for a lot of like especially long-limbed trees like yeah. if their habitat moves north they're like staying put you know and just either weathering the storm or not so that's something that's happening there's one 
species of plant, it's a little flower that we work with, that um, people have done like climate change modeling on its populations and to see where it was going to move north. And it moved north straight into Lake Erie. Oh my uh, god! So there's nowhere else to go for it. <laughs> I mean, it's just like gone, you know. Which is also incredible that like that could be seen and people studied that. I don't know why it blows my mind that people are watching wild plants can actually like their like, movement patterns. Yes, quote, do you know unquote. why? It, like it's too moving, big but... of a picture for yeah. me to comprehend. I guess. And I like, think it's crazy too. Yeah. I'm like that's very mathy and cool. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> very mathy. <laughs> So, do you want to tell us about your project and what you're doing and what you're doing yeah. instead of seed banking? Yeah, so this is a really cool project because we partnered with all of these different like arboreta and botanical gardens across the United States and Canada, and we have some partners in Mexico, so it's kind of like a North American thing. And we got them to agree somehow to go out and collect shoots from a couple different trees that we're interested in every single year in spring for three years. So they're going to go out to the exact same tree every spring for three years and then send those shoots to us. Okay. Then we try to get them into tissue culture. So we try to grow them in test tubes so that we can ultimately cryopreserve them. Usually growing them in test tubes is kind of our first step because we specialize in what we call shoot tip cryopreservation. Cryopreservation I'll back up, is the storage of like plant seeds and tissues and liquid nitrogen. So when we're seed banking, we're throwing things in like a freezer, like your normal freezer at home, that's like zero degrees Fahrenheit, right? It's pretty cold. Mm -hmm. Things will freeze. Liquid nitrogen is like negative 320 degrees Fahrenheit. It's like so much colder. <laughs> so much colder. It's like instantaneous frozen. Yeah, yeah. it really is. It's yeah. like, it's frozen. Um, so we're using that cryopreservation for a couple of reasons. Number one, so when you put something in the freezer and you freeze it, it takes it a while to freeze, right? So it takes a while to freeze and it gets in its danger zone where it forms ice crystals. Oh, yeah. Liquid nitrogen is so cold that it freezes instantly and we bypass that ice crystal formation and like the water and liquid oh. inside of the cells becomes like a glass. So instead of like all these pokey ice crystals that are like poking up your cells and like letting all the good stuff rush out, you have this nice like glass that then you can just keep them <laughs> nice and happy in your bank. Interesting. Indefinitely. So we're ultimately trying to do that with oaks and we're, you can do that with acorns. That's one option. Another option is to take the little tiny growing buds. So if you like look at a plant, usually you can see, especially in the springtime, the bud is like where things start to grow. Like it's what becomes green and starts growing really long. And so those tiny little buds actually contain the plant's stem cells, which is crazy, what? right? Yes. So they contain these cells like very on the very top that are basically undifferentiated. They can become any sort of plant cell. They can become a leaf cell, or they can become a stem, or like they can, well, stem. I, I was about to, I was about <laughs> to bring that up, but yeah. <laughs> Yes, they can become a root cell. And so we can kind of like exploit that and like harvest those tiny little stem cells, cryopreserve them, and then we can pull them back out whenever we need them and grow a whole plant from them. So that's somebody, kind of what we're doing with that. That's those. incredible. Yes, how does somebody figure that out? And then what do you mean you pull them out and you... How do you determine <laughs> that for them? Like, is, is that something you can answer? So It's like, like how do we recover them from cryo? Yes, and, and then decide if you want it to be a root or do you not do that? that part, or do you question. just automatically yeah. make it a root so that it can grow into a tree? That's like the cool part. That's the other cool part of us using tissue culture or growing them in test tubes. So when we grow them in test tubes, they don't grow in soil in the test tube. They're actually growing in um, what we call like plant jello. And so it's got like every, it's got what plants crave. It's like got this gel base that keeps it solid. And then it's got all the sugar that they like and then all the nutrients that they need. But then we can feed them different hormones. What? Because hormones are like the chemical messengers in your body like that your brain sends out that are like, okay, you need to do this, you need to do that. And plants have the exact same thing. So we just like manipulate the hormones that they're taking up and, and we're like, hey, you need to do like mostly make some shoots, but also maybe make a couple roots. Or we can like tell them to just produce roots. Or one project that I'm working on with the oaks, this is like very sci-fi, is that we can take the little tiny leaves like as soon as they emerge and put them on media with quite a few hormones 
and cause like it basically causes them to produce little embryos like out of the leaves so the embryo is the little tiny you know thing inside a seed that's going to grow into a whole plant we can tell the leaves like hey just start making a whole bunch of those for us please we could really use those wow what what kind Very of media sci-fi. do you put it on to get it to it's got, there's so many different types of plant media. Okay. It's like kind of like a smorgasbord of different like nutrients. I mean, it's just like soil, right? So sometimes you have soil that has a lot more calcium in it, or sometimes mm. you have soil that holds water really tightly. And so we can do the same thing with the media and just um, tell it, you know, we need you to produce a lot more shoots because we're giving you a lot more of cytokinin which is like a shoot hormone or we need you to produce more roots how do you get the shoot hormones how do you (laughs) (laughs) also you isolate them from you can isolate them from plants and actually see them can you how do you isolate (laughs) a plant hormone so some chemists much smarter than me (laughs) will like basically extract them out of like the plant tissues and the crazy thing about plant hormones is like we use them to grow and people use them at home like you can buy a little bottle of powder called rutone which stands for rooting hormone and if you like take a cutting of one of your houseplants and like dip the cut end into this rooting hormone then you're like oh my god it's producing roots this is great i have a new plant never do this you're using (laughs) you're using rooting hormones too but the other crazy thing is that too much of a hormone can make a plant go so crazy that it actually kills them. And so a lot of our herbicides are actually plant, like, really high doses of plant hormones. Oh, wow. So, like, Agent Orange, there's a lot of very bad things in that. But also, like, the thing that was mostly killing the plants was a plant hormone. It was, like, an auxin hormone. This is so wild to me. So when you're... When you're manipulating all of this stuff, are you doing it like under a microscope? Like, yeah. oh yeah, good question. Like, how are you? How help are you? Us un- help us envision this. What is like? Yeah. yeah. What is like your daily work desk life look like? Like, well, we so because we're growing plants in test tubes and we're growing them on this like medium that's got the tons of sugar in it. Plants love it, and like fungi and bacteria love it too. So primarily we're working sterilely. We're working in these big giant boxes basically that are blowing sterile air at us and they're blowing all like the fungal spores and bacteria like back towards my face. Yeah, I was just going to (laughs) say. But like away from the plant. And so we're usually working in like a very clean situation like that. And when we're trying to like get that tiny little like bud that has all the stem cells in it, yeah, we're working under microscopes. So just be under a microscope all day, like just trying to like a scalpel. Yeah, a scalpel and trying to get like a one or two millimeter like tiny bit of tissue. <laughs> and then it doesn't damage the cells enough to like it's still if you're good at it. If you're... <laughs> wow. So you're basically like a open heart surgeon yeah. for plants. You're like a plant <laughs> surgeon. This is amazing. Okay, this probably isn't important, but I just want to know, like, can you grow a plant without roots? Do you know what I, like you were oh, saying? Oh, yeah. I thought roots. <laughs> I feel so dumb every time no, we talk to someone from this group. is so weird. Yes. How it's not it, natural, right? It's <laughs> not natural. How does it grow without roots just because it has direct, like, the... It doesn't need because roots are like there what? to stabilize the plant. I and thought they were like, like what soaks up all yeah, they the soak nutrients up. and stuff. Mm-hmm. But just like a stem can also do the same thing. Yeah, if you like cut it and it has like direct contact with this media and it doesn't like it has all the nutrients in the media and it doesn't need like any processing. Mm-hmm. They just go like straight into the tissues. And okay. we want it to produce lots of shoots because the shoots are where all the stem cells are. So we're mm-hmm. always trying to be like, please don't make any roots right now oh okay <laughs> this is not helpful for us oh my god that's wild so how many species of oak are you guys working with right now so for this particular project we have um six threatened species of oak mostly from um the western southwestern united states and then two common species that we added in it's kind of like a comparison of widespread species so our common species are the bur oak which like Everybody's seen around here. And the red oak that are all over the place here. here, So we're working with both common and endangered oaks. But we have like tons and I don't even know how many species of oaks we have growing in our like greenhouse and growing in tissue culture just for other projects. We love oaks. What do you do with them when they get bigger? 
Do you plant such, them? Do that's you... such a good question. So we have like big plans right now. I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about this, but I'm going to talk about it because talk I'm manifesting it. this happening. You heard it here first. You heard it here first. Yeah. So we like right now we have just like a little hoop house behind crew that we grow these oak trees in. But, like, we're running out of space. We're, like, a pretty small building. You know, we don't have, like, a massive greenhouse or anything. So we're conspiring with horticulture to plant out this, like, big, awesome oak grove out at Boyer Farm. Yes. Which is, like, where a lot of our native plants are being grown yeah. already. And we have, like, beautiful forests and wetlands out there. And it would just be, like, the perfect place to have this conservation grove of, like, so many cool oak species that people could then come and, like... See, people go out and hear oak, and they think that's, like, one tree. You know what I mean? You're like, oak yes, tree. Yes, me yeah. too. <laughs> me, me, I am one of them. <laughs> They're, like, one of the most diverse tree groups. There's so many different species of oak, and I think it would be so cool for somebody to come and be like, oh, my God, there's oaks that are, like, shrubs. They get, like, five feet tall, and they look like a little shrub that you would have outside of your house. And then there's, like, a giant, like, bur oak that grows super huge and tall. So that's, like, the dream that we're trying to make a reality. So what would, what would stop that dream from happening? Would it be, like, tons of work? Or is it the space? I mean, I'm, I'll fight for it with you guys. Yeah! I was going to say, whatever little influence Jen and I have around here, we're going to use we're our little doing... influence to do it. No, I think, people are, I think people here are getting really excited about it. Okay. I think it's really happening, and horticulture is really excited about oh, it. We love working with horticulture. Like, that's, like, the best whenever we get to, like, do a project yeah. with them. And so it is just, like, yeah, getting some extra space to, like, grow the trees. Because we grow the trees in test tubes. They're, like, two inches big. And, like, horticulture is, like, I don't want to even look at that tree until right. it's three feet tall. <laughs> <laughs> so we need something in, like, that interim to bridge the gap. But that would be such a good way to show, like, how science gets put into practice, yeah. too. If yeah. you go and see these groves of oaks that were literally born so to speak yes. in test tubes like yeah that'd be amazing yeah totally and just like the botanic garden world is kind of starting to like take some pages out of the zoo world book and so we're just starting to like dip our toes into um you know like managing crosses and things like we do with managing breeding across zoos mm. and so one idea that's really becoming popular is the idea of a meta collection and so it's the idea being that like no one garden has the space and the people to like grow all of the baroques for a collection in their garden but like together we can if like we agree to take okay we're going to take like x amount of baroques and grow them here and then this garden is going to take another x amount and then together that's like one conservation yeah. collection so it's kind of like being part of a whole that's really cool in conservation yeah it's almost like true. our ssps that yeah. we have with animals yeah we totally stole the ssp in the botanic garden world and we're like that's we a good should. idea yes that is so cool so you are using scalpels and slicing buds of mm -hmm. different plants but let's talk about the oaks for now and then you move that to a media and uh -huh. you put hormones on it which someone much smarter than me figured out how to collect the hormones. Someone much smarter than me, <laughs> too. And then what's the timeline from there to, like, seeing something? Or, yeah. like, when does it move to a test tube? Or is it put in the test tube immediately? So... When we're, like, trying to cryopreserve something, we'll isolate the tiny little buds, usually out of a test tube. And then we are, again, we're trying to stop ice crystals from forming inside those cells. So one way that we do that is, like, by freezing them in liquid nitrogen really fast. The other way that we do that is by using what we call cryoprotectants. They're basically, like, plant antifreeze that we're, like, just, like we submerge the plants in for a while. So it's got all kinds of things in it. It's got some stress hormone in it. So we're kind of being like, something stressful is going to happen. You might want to start preparing for it. Mm. And it's also got like a ton of sugar in it because if something, if a solution has like a bunch of sugar in it, then it doesn't freeze as much, you know? Like it's kind of different, but if you put alcohol in the fridge, it doesn't freeze, right? It's just like usually not enough water in it. If you have a low enough proof alcohol, it does start okay. to freeze. yes. So we're kind of trying to do the same thing with all kinds of, like, plant antifreezes. So basically from the time that we isolate it to the time that it's sitting in liquid nitrogen for potentially hundreds of years is two days. Okay. So I guess I was thinking of, I forgot, like, you're actually taking these 
would you call them cells? Like when you slice it, what is that? What do you call that? We call that a shoot tip. A shoot tip. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you're putting that to cryopreserve it or with antifreeze. Which yeah. Is so crazy. And then um, only when you need more of them, then you will grow them to be the shoots or that yeah. sort of thing. Okay. Yeah. So the nice thing, we can propagate things really quickly in test tubes because we're basically like cloning the plants. I mean, plants are very easy to clone because, like, you could just, like, take a cutting of a lot of house plants and you have created a clone mm-hmm. of that plant. We do the same thing, but we do it in test tubes, and so we can make lots of them very, very fast, which is nice for restoration projects, and we do that for partners a lot. So if somebody's like, I need a whole bunch of plants, i got to plant them back out in the wild, and I don't know how to do that, we, we got them because we can clone those plants. Here's a good example of that happening. I'm going off on a tangent. No, no, no. I want to hear it. I'm here for it. (laughs) So we work with a plant called the autumn buttercup, which is found in like this one tiny little population in Utah. And they wanted to do a restoration of it. So our partners, the Nature Conservancy, owned the land. We had partners out at some Utah universities, the Arboretum at Flagstaff. Everybody was like, we found a spot. Let's do a restoration. Let's plant these plants out. If we did the restoration with seeds... For every seed, you grow one plant, right? And that plant is like a specific genotype, just like I have a different genotype than you, have a different genotype than you. And so if that plant dies, that genotype is lost, has gone out of the population. We were able to take those and get them into tissue culture so that we could make like 20, 30, 40 of every single genotype. We have backups. So we did that. Then, you know, we go through this process called acclimatization, which is like, very difficult to get it from a test tube to the greenhouse. I feel like we talked yeah. about that with... Yeah, you probably yes. talked to Mairead about yes. it. That's, yeah. that's her like specialization. She's like the master of it. So hard. I cannot do it. But she does it. And so they take all these plants now that they're growing in soil and they send them out to Utah and they're like, okay, let's plant them out. And they're like, you know what? There's a bunch of like stock that are, you know, grazing out here. We're going to build a fence so that deer and cattle can't get in. And so we watch the plants, they're like doing great, and then all of a sudden they all like totally are obliterated. We're like, what the heck happened? Voles came in and ate them because like nobody was like walking around grazing on it, and voles are like, wow, somebody like planted a salad bar for me. This is great. And if we had been using like seeds and seedlings, like that, those are gone. Wow. They're out of the population forever. But we have backups. So we like did the whole thing again. (laughs) again. Hundreds (laughs) of plants, the same plants again. And they're like, okay, we're going to keep the bulls out this time. And then it worked. But that's the kind of, like, experimentation with conservation and restoration that you couldn't do if you were in danger of, like, losing tons of an endangered species with your experiment. So it allows a lot more flexibility, too. So just a logistical logistical standpoint, and I or question, like, I have a lot of other questions, but when you, when I think of, like, cryopreservation... I mostly am familiar with like sperm, I feel yeah. like, and it goes in those big round. Yeah. They're they like propane tanks yeah. almost. Yeah. But they don't have wide lids. Yeah. So how are you literally putting, like, what, when you have the, oh my gosh, you just told me the name, the shoot, shoot, shoot tip. tip. Yeah. What is that in? How do you get it back out? How do you put it in and keep it from mixing with others? Yeah. Like, what is that process? That's a good question. So they're basically, like, these big barrels filled with liquid nitrogen. And then, so the sperm, they usually, like, freeze them in little tiny straws, (laughs) which I think is very cute. (laughs) For us, we have, like, just, like, racks and racks and racks in there of boxes. And each box is filled with all these little vials. So a box... I guess it's preserving seeds or plants. So. Oh, yes. Yeah, but it seems like it similar. should just, like, destroy. It's so cold. I feel like it would, like, destroy things you put in there. But that's not the case. I mean, that's, like, borderline, like, one of my fears. Because, like, cryopreservation is kind of a new science. Like, mm-hmm. it's a, it's been a science that's been practiced since, like, the late 80s, early 90s, okay. maybe. And we are theorizing that plants can and cells can survive in liquid nitrogen for, like, hundreds to thousands of years. And we're just, like, assuming, like, well, this plastic box is going to make it. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's one of the things that you So it is, like, in a, pla- <laughs> in a plastic box. Yeah, in a little plastic vial. Okay. I mean, so they've survived for, like, over 30 years. They're doing okay yeah, so far. Yeah. Then in a box. And is it safe? Like, are you nervous working with it? Like, if, oh, I mean, do you li- stick your arm in there? Do you, like... Oh, I, li- I suit up. 
Okay. I suit up. I have like tons of protective okay. gear because it's like negative three hundred degrees yeah. Fahrenheit. Like it will burn you. Yes, it's so, so that's cold. I'm like it's. I've got like the goggles on. I've got like my gloves on. Usually, you know, sometimes if I'm banking a lot, I get relaxed about it, and I'll be down there in um, flip flops. And Elizabeth is our OSHA person, and she will be like, "What are you doing?" <laughs> <laughs> like I don't know. <laughs> so do you like reach in with the gloves or do you have like little tools that pull out these boxes or are you mostly just putting in? Like how often are you pulling? Do you see what I'm saying? Like yeah. I'm thinking yeah. of stacking let's for an ease. Let's say you have a purple box, a green box, a blue box, an orange yeah. box and you need the purple box at the bottom or whatever order I just did. Do you ever do that or are they just staying down oh, there? Oh yeah. They they're in like they're in these racks that we can like pull out boxes without like reorganizing oh, everything. I, guess I need to see one of these. You should come yes. over sometime. <laughs> <laughs> yes. We'll do a video or something. Okay. I'm imagining it like being a screw top opening and it's like all but down. It just like pops right out. Oh, the whole thing comes out. Yeah. And you don't have to worry about that, like, temperature change. Yes, you okay. do. So that's one of the scary things is that, and the one, another thing that keeps me up at night, is that when you pull these out, you know, you pull out a whole rack of, like, eight boxes at one time, and for, like, two seconds, just enough time for you to get the box that you need and transfer it to liquid nitrogen, you put the box back in. But, like, that's technically a micro-thaw. You know what I mean? Yeah. So we try to, like, avoid doing okay. that. We try to have, like, some where we're actively taking things in and putting things out, or vice versa. And um, we have some that are just, like, long-term storage. They're going to stay there. We're not even going to, like, open okay. the tank okay. or anything. That makes sense. But we're not trying to, like, keep... I mean, we are trying to keep things there for the future, like, for safety purposes. But we want people to use the plants that are in here. Like, we don't want to just, like, keep everything in here forever and never, like, take it out for any use. Like, we want to be doing restorations with them or experiments. Like, we want them to be used. So... We do take things out. Here's an example of that. Yeah. So, do you remember when the corpse flower bloomed a couple years ago? Yes. It was like a yeah. sensation. I mean, I came and waited in line <laughs> to see it. Yes. People were in love with Morticia. <laughs> so, everybody had this really cool idea that, like, that, that I think it was the hornbills, one of the hornbill birds, like, eats corpse flower fruit in the wild. And so, they were like, great, let's pollinate it and get it to produce the fruit, and then they'll eat it, and then we'll get the seeds, and it's going to be really cool. We didn't have any corpse flower pollen on hand, obviously, so we called up Chicago Botanic Garden and we were like, can you, like, overnight us some? Like, no problem. They overnight it. UPS loses it. I think I heard this story. It was oh, why. I wish no. we would have done that. I have not heard this. this part. It was, like, a nightmare. We, like, horticulture is like, you what? <laughs> it's gone. So it was, like, totally gone. So, you know, Mairead and Ed from Horticulture and I, like, go there in the middle of the night to that education building, and Ed, like, cuts a little tiny square out of <laughs> this flower away from where the public can see it because it's, like, the beloved Morticia, you know what I mean? And I didn't we, know this part. <laughs> he's, like, in there, like, I have such a good video of this. He's in there, like, looking through this tiny hole with a toothbrush, like, scrubbing the pollen off of this plant and like putting it in foil so we can take it back to the lab and cryopreserve it because the next time that corpse flower blooms I want us to have pollen here on yeah. hand I don't want to have to like wait for UPS so that is something that is banked but it is like it's coming out of there eventually that pollen is going to come out and we're going to use it to pollinate the next Morticia yeah. whenever she pops up <laughs> Morticia the second <laughs> and I'll probably leave some in there like for you know for good but it's it's slated to come out. We're using the stuff that's in the bank. So wait, when you when you ship this stuff, is it in like a special container so that it stays cold and like doesn't warm up? So the they when they shipped us the corpse flower pollen, it wasn't cryopreserved. People aren't really like okay. doing cryopreservation that often. Like people don't really have the capabilities. And a lot of stuff like it'll last a couple years. They have enough corpse flowers that they go through their pollen quick enough, but we don't. So I wanted to cryopreserve it because. Okay. But we do ship things in liquid nitrogen, and we have these things called dry shippers, which are basically like little mini liquid nitrogen tanks that we wow. keep things in. So things can stay in liquid nitrogen in either the liquid or the vapor. Even the vapor of liquid nitrogen is very cold. So if you ever see someone like messing around with liquid nitrogen, it's got all this like white I mean, smoke. This is the same thing out. as dry ice, right? Or are those different things? They're different things. Dry ice is carbon dioxide. Oh, okay. 
and liquid nitrogen is nitrogen. And is it much <clears> colder <throat> too? Okay. It is much colder than dry ice, but we also use dry ice, which is like fun to play with. I know, I just remember like really fun fun fifth grade science projects <laughs> using dry ice, but I clearly yeah. don't know anything about it. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, we have dry shiver. We'll just like send like a tiny little tank of liquid nitrogen out to keep things cold. Who makes the call on when you start doing restoration? Like, is that somebody who's just like, we're ready or we found the spot like you mentioned yeah. before? Or is it like you're working on a project for five years and you're like, okay, we hit this point. Yeah. Now let's take them out and go plant them. We, we try to, like our philosophy is that we do the preserving and the propagating really well. And we leave the land managing to the land managers because they know those plants. Like, okay. they know the plants mm -hmm. that they're working with. So we defer to them. We defer to them usually if they need help propagating or preserving something, they'll come to us. And they'll come to us when they're ready for it to come out as well. So we're working on a project with horticulture again right now on the Kentucky clover, which is this, like, newly described science species of clover. Like, you would have no idea. If you saw it, you would be like, that's a white clover. I'm going to step on that. <laughs> What also amazes me is when someone's paying enough attention to notice I that and they know. notice what? discover a new yes, species. Yeah. I've like seen it and I'm just like, are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> like that, that just is a normal clover, right? But like we're producing, they were like, we want to do a restoration with this. We need more plants, and we we're like, great, we'll take the plant, we'll give you the plants. You do whatever you want with them. Like okay. you go nuts. So we try to be like one part of a team for yeah. conservation. Very cool. Yeah, but it takes all those organizations and all those, like, different sides of conservation yeah. to work together to actually make a successful it's product. It's even more special, yeah. I feel like. Yeah. yeah, I feel like we're all, like, working in support of, like, protecting habitats. Like, yeah. that's the gold standard. That's what we need to be doing. But, like, we need to do some extra things, too. Yes. <laughs> so, we... There, you've shared so much cool information, but I always have the hardest time, like, understanding literally what you do on a daily basis. And so I kind of started asking that and you're, so you're spending a lot of time yeah. like, well, is that true? Are you spending a lot of time like cutting these shoot tips or what does your day look like on it? My, or is it different every day? It's different every day, which is one thing I really like about it. So like right now we're kind of in our, we're coming up to the end of our like slow season. So I'm spending a lot of time like analyzing data and writing papers. I just like submitted a paper that immediately got rejected. You know, oh, no. you have a lot no. of rejection in this. This <laughs> mind brushes so off. And then in the spring and summer is when things like really ramp up. So soon, probably in March, our partners are going to start sending us these shoots that we're trying to try and get into tissue culture. And those days are crazy. We're like making the media. We have to be prepared. We have to like, I'm like go going and hovering and purchasing, like waiting, waiting for, for like, <laughs> <laughs> to like snatch things away from him, like run these plants down so that they don't like spend too long in a box, yeah. you know? And then we sterilize them because again, we have to work really clean because we don't want any of those fungus. Fungus will just like take over. It can grow so mm. much faster than a plant. And so we want to like get rid of that. Sterilize How do you sterilize them? them? Just with bleach. What? You that just like, soak them in bleach. I would think that would be horrible for the them. Plant. For yeah, long enough time. Okay. okay. <laughs> <It> will. Okay. <laughs> we do like five to ten minutes in some bleach, and like wow. it kills the like buggies on it, but it doesn't kill the plant okay. usually. Interesting. Usually. Yeah. <laughs> But, like, those seasons are, like, crazy, and then sometimes we'll go out and do collecting, so we'll go out in the field and actually collect things, um, usually more locally. I used to do more. Pre-COVID, I did a lot more traveling. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Didn't we all? Yeah. yeah. So when, okay. you, when you get these shipments of shoots in in the spring, is that more exciting or is it more stressful? Because I'm sure there's a lot of pressure. You're probably working extra hours. It's both. But yeah, it's, yeah, a little bit of both. That makes sense. Yeah, it's really stressful, but like, it's also really fun. Like the days go by really fast and you know, it's really, it's a collaborative effort. It's like all hands on deck. So it's just mm. like a bunch of us hanging out in the lab, like doing the exact same thing. And it's, it's usually really fun. Days like today, I'll just like be holed up in my office, like a little gremlin, like, <laughs> typing on a computer. I'm not very social. So I really look forward to like the more collaborative things. So you'll be, you'll have this grant for three years. You'll be working on this project for three years. What are you hoping to accomplish by the third year? Or what does yeah. the end look like? What if you're in the middle of figuring everything out? Do you... We're always ask? in the middle. Is there an end, goals. I guess? <laughs> yeah, it's like a good starting point. But one thing like we're really interested in at Crew is building capacity. Because like I said, 
these are not the exception to the rule anymore. Like, the plants that need these kind of technologies are becoming the rule. Mm. And so we just need more people who are capable of doing this kind of work. So the point of this grant is to try and get plants from all across the country and from all these different species and see if we can standardize this in some way so that it's easier for people. Oh. So we can say, hey, just do this one protocol. It works great. We tested it on a bunch of okay. species. Like, right now... Plants are so different that, like, species to species, a protocol is different. And, like, genotype to gene, like, tree to tree in the same species, sometimes you'll have to, like, do a different protocol. And that's really labor-intensive, yeah. and it's hard to, like, tell someone how to do that. Right. So we also, as part of this grant, and, like, our prior grants, we've been working on this for a while, have the Exceptional Plant Conservation Network, which is actually hosted on the zoo's website, but, like, I feel like no one ever like sees it <laughs> well i guess we don't have reasons to go on the website too often so That's I, true. I will say i don't, I, don't <laughs> I haven't personally seen it but. yeah we're trying to make like a little hub for like learning about these things so we're gonna have all these we have all these videos up there um that are like how do i do this different this really specific type of cryopreservation or like what is an exceptional plant like all different kinds yeah. of like learning levels for these videos from all different people that we've had make them for us some like tutorial videos that we've made on our own um, and we have all these tools that we're building so we have like a list of exceptional plants so you can go like look up your favorite plant species and see if it's a, an exceptional oh, cool. species nice. or not or if we don't know enough about it we have like a network people can join so like we have like scientists from all across the world like joining this network but also just people who like think this kind of work is cool and like I want to be in the loop they like join the network too so we're trying to like build capacity here so that more people can be doing this work that's so important honestly yeah. like the point you guys are doing so much trial and error and it takes a while to to yeah. grow and know like I'm sure how how successful all of these projects are yeah. so if you do find one and you can take that off your plate and be like here somebody else here's how you do it and they can do it I mean that's really important yeah so, yeah it's amazing what would the process like like look like moving forward as far as getting other institutions involved because like you said it is such a specialized thing like is this something that maybe other institutions could come and train here and then yeah. take it back to their place like and we do that we okay. do we host a lot of people so like this past year we hosted a botanist from the canadian forest service who like came oh, down to cool. train with us and learn cryopreservation we had our last major grant was working with the university of hawaii arboretum and they have like this awesome collection of tissue culture plants. But tissue culture plants, just like any plant, like they need to be repotted occasionally. They run out of like the nutrients and sugar in their gel. And so somebody, like a person literally has to come in and like cut off the bottom and like make the media and put them in a new tube and it's kind of labor intensive. Whereas cryopreservation, once you get the method worked out, it's in the liquid nitrogen bank, you don't have to touch it. There's like no, you know, work involved. And so Hawaii was like we really need to get a cryobank going, both for safety reasons and for, like, our own sanity. So yeah. we, yeah. <laughs> we can, like, take some of the workload off. And so we trained one of their biologists there, and he's now back in Hawaii, like, running their own cryobank. We did a bunch of protocols for him to jumpstart them for a different species they, they have. We sent them the protocols. We have a bunch of plants banked here, and now they're banking them and developing their own protocols. So it works. It's just, like, it's just us right now, and yeah. so it's, like, hard to, like, plod along, but we're chipping away at it. <laughs> it sounds to me like you need to just go to Hawaii help out out there. I totally, like, I think that'd I be a like, great how trip, did I right? get employed on a grant from Hawaii, and I never got to go? <laughs> it's educational. You'd be helping them out, right? Like, I know. Mm. This Next is time. such interesting information and, and work that you guys are doing. I, I'm always... Like... These are some of my favorite, po I love all of our podcasts that we do, but some of my favorite episodes are the people when they come over from crew. I'm yes, like, it's definitely. like you said, it's like science fiction that's going on over there. It's right across the zoo and I'm clueless to most of it. Like I need to get more, more love, educated like, on all this stuff. I crawling out of our little cave and <laughs> <laughs> socializing with people. <laughs> and I think it's amazing that there is a network of people who are just interested in this. They may not be scientists because yeah. like Mark and I, we work here at one of the only places in the world doing this kind of work, and we didn't know. So I think it's really impressive that other people are actually yeah. aware of it. But after this podcast, maybe at least 50 more people <laughs> will be aware of it. I don't know how many listeners. Yeah. But no. Um, so is there anything else you wanted to tell us about the work you do or you want people to hear about crew or oaks or anything before we do trivia? Is there anything we oh missed covering? 
No, I think I think we covered a lot of ground. <laughs> I probably just talked at you. I hope I didn't bore everyone to no, tears. No, you're my. That's my favorite <laughs> type when you guys have like stories to share and like. <laughs> You gave us a lot of really good examples that helps me understand, at least. Definitely. I'm right there with you. And like we were saying earlier, I love being able to shine the light a little bit on the botanical garden side of the zoo. Because it doesn't get as much credit. We're accredited now. We weren't before? I didn't know. Well, there wasn't really an accreditation process, but now there is, and we were like, we're doing it. Yes, of course. (laughs) course. I also think it's interesting, like, you mentioned you love, like, the plant scientists love working with horticulture, and they're, like so different but so similar yeah. and like need to be integrated but like it is a totally different job like they're oh, yeah. they have like the well I don't know what you would call them I was gonna say big like healthy already growing plants and planting them but there's so much more to it than they're that. They're so like I the masters of like growing the plants like out in real life and, like, and you guys nature. are like the reproductive side of it would you say that? Yeah the reproductive and like the storage and like the research side of it yeah. Yeah, definitely research, of course. Yeah. But, like, we we love working with Hort. Yeah. It's, like, so much fun. And they're, like, a fun group of people. <laughs> <laughs> they are. They're and always a good time. I do yeah. think, they like, it makes sense that it would be fun to work together because you're actually getting to see something that you've worked on for so long be implemented into, yeah. like, nature. Yeah. They so. actually grow the plants. It's cool. Very cool. <laughs> Do you have trivia? Well, I'll okay. say I do have brief trivia for <laughs> both of you if you're Already up for embarrassed. it. Yeah. If you <laughs> I will be bad at it. There's only like one actual question and two kind of joke questions. Okay. So we got we got a brief trivia today. The first one you did mention, there's lots of different oak species out there. There's lots of work to be done. Do you know how many species of oaks there are? And I'll take like a range <laughs> for this one because depending on the different sources and the different mm-hmm. um, kind of scientists, scientific papers you look at, there might be a couple different answers, but it's all within the kind of range. Wow, that's like a hard question. Yeah. Say, you Jenna, these are your favorite this. types of questions. Oh, yeah. How many are there? <laughs> He's being sarcastic. I never know the numbers <laughs> questions. I feel like I should know this and I just like, my mind is blank. I'm going to... I'm going to say, I'm going to say, I don't know, between 8 and 900. (gasps) Really? I don't know. It's just a guess. I usually guess really high, so, but I was going to guess like 40. So it's right in between the two of you. It's about, a little bit of a range there. We'll find the median there. It's about 450 to 500. Of just oaks. 450 to 500. Just oaks. I don't understand. Just oaks. Just there's almost a hundred just in the United States alone. Yeah. What? I didn't know there were that many <laughs> species of trees in general. Oh my god! I mean, uh, that's so I'm many. Being a little facetious. Sorry. Yes, yeah, but yeah. like, what? Wow! Just yeah. oaks. Yeah, because that's I crazy. think bur oak is one like I yeah. might have been able to name, and then red oak sounds familiar oh, to sure. me. Yeah. yeah. But that's it. Like, I wouldn't. What? What's another? Can you name any more? Like, oh. even just one more. I yeah, want to know why if not? I... Well, okay, yeah. I guess why I know not? that. But I wouldn't have thought of it, right? Like, it just sounds... Yeah. Oh, yeah, I've heard that. Sometime when you say it out loud. But now you gotta, you gotta go out and start identifying oaks. I know. I can't even... <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of plants that I cannot identify. Same. So, speaking of white oaks, this is a good, good little segue here. Speaking of white oaks, in this 1994 film... A white oak is the meeting place for two prisoners that escaped the prison. Shawshank Redemption. Yeah. yeah That's the only got, person in the movie I know. Shawshank. <laughs> I don't remember the scene. <laughs> Shawshank. And oh, yeah. he leaves the, um, like the toolbox or whatever underneath the white oak. Yeah. Which I didn't know this until I was researching this. That white oak is was, until it fell down, was in Ohio. Oh. Yeah, that was they, filmed, like, filmed in Ohio. The whole thing? Yeah, the yeah. Mansfield Reformatory. I had no idea. Like, it's it, so cool. Yeah, incredible. One of the best movies ever. It was mm-hmm. filmed right here in Ohio. Yeah. So. We're repping. All right, you guys are actually doing really good here. You're two for two. I'm giving you credit for two for two because the answer for the, for the oak species Between was right the in the middle. Yeah, it was right in the middle. So I'm giving you credit for two for two. I agree. Last question. This was like an extremely formative experience for me growing up. Um, if you've ever played any of the Pokemon games, Pokemon Red, Yellow, Blue, when you start out your journey, what is the name of the character that acts as your guide through the world? 
the only character. We don't have Pokemon fans here, I guess. Professor Oak. I'm Professor the, a Oak. huge Pokemon <laughs> fan. Okay, thank God. <laughs> oh, I was like, the only one I know is Pikachu, I think. <laughs> Pikachu is not, kind of your guy. Pokemon, like Pokemon your spiritual yellow, yeah. advisor. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's ridiculous. Professor Oak, yeah. Mm -hmm. the, le the man, the myth, the legend. Maybe that's like some kernel of my psyche of like being 12 years old and playing Pokemon has led me to this point. <laughs> you just like uncovered it. This is my psychotherapy session. That's what I'm here for. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> Megan, you're like our spiritual Professor Oak, though. If you think yeah. about it. I'm, I would be happy to be that person. <laughs> I, I don't know what that means, but yes. <laughs> I will get you your first oh, Pokemon. <laughs> it's a compliment. Uh, Jenna, do you have anything else for Megan while we have her? Yes. Well, I love all of the work you do. What can I do? Yeah, I... There's so many things that you can do, but I think a really fun thing that you can do, especially to support oak conservation, is like to grow oaks in your backyard if you can. So <clears throat> I have a bur oak growing in my backyard, and I think it's like a primary reason that I bought my house is like, I love this tree. <laughs> <laughs> I want to buy this house. Have you loved oaks before this grant, before this project? Oh, yeah. Okay. I, how could you not? Like, if you go out in our forest, they're like such a dominant tree. It's mm -hmm. just like, you, they're very they're like charismatic lovable. trees. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they totally are. But you can like, I mean, you can purchase oaks, or you can go and collect acorns. Like they're actually fairly easy to germinate. You can really? just look up instructions online. They just don't like last yes, very long. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they're an exceptional species, so you want to germinate them pretty quick when you actually um, collect them. But you can also grow all kinds of, if you don't have room for oaks, you can grow all kinds of like native plants. So we have so many native plants that will support our native pollinators and ecosystems that you can grow. But a really important thing to be aware of when you're growing these plants is where you're getting them from and making sure mm -hmm. that you're sourcing them ethically. So a lot of these plants in the wild, you know, if there's demand for them and we haven't quite figured out how to propagate them yet, sometimes people will go, like, dig them up from the wild and that could actually, like, actually harm yeah. native populations and, and it would probably lower your success rate because transplanting plants can be really hard. So I would say, like, when you're going and buying native plants, like, start asking a lot of questions about how they source their plants. Where are these plants coming from? What's their origin? How are you propagating them? you're not harming you know any native ecosystems you're stealing from, from the wild or like poaching because poaching definitely happens here in ohio yeah is there is there like a certain place that you would like you say ask the questions but would it be like you go to a nursery or could even lowe's or somewhere where people might see trees that they could buy like is there something that says that they're like ethically sourced or you would have to ask and hope the person you're asking knows the answer. Well, That's I what mean, I would worry about. Yeah, I know. Mm -hmm. well, my two like answers to that, one is that you can go to a lot of nurseries around here, especially in their like our Cincinnati Zoo um, plants that horticulture will kind <gasps> of like I didn't know that. Back. Okay. So you'll actually see like Cincinnati Zoo like little stickers on them. Like Very stamp cool. of approval yeah, basically. Like, yeah, like the horticulture like signed off on it. So those are those are usually good ones and there there's a lot of natives too, like a lot of cool cultivars of natives that you can grow. That's interesting you say that because I have the hardest time finding native plants. Like I know. They're that, getting more popular okay. now. It's been a while since like at uh, my house my past house, like I was specifically yeah. looking for native plants and would go to nurseries and it was still hard to mm. find them. But I think like the other thing that you could do is go to like local go to local nurseries mm -hmm. like smaller mom and pop yeah. shops than like the giant like Lowe's Walmart yeah. like those places because you can actually talk to the people who are growing the plants a lot of time or sourcing the plants and a lot of times they have more buy-in and and especially if people are coming and asking these questions then it's going to be more and more yeah. important for them to showcase yeah. like hey we're getting these plants totally ethically. Like we're nowhere in the line are these being poached or anything. Like this is the place that you should buy your plants at, and you're supporting like a local economy. Yes, definitely. Yeah. There's so many good things about all of that. I kind of meant for this to be the last question, but now I have more questions. <laughs> Do you know? Is there anything like a specific habitat or soil or amount of space that someone would need to grow an oak tree? Oh yeah, I mean especially like space. They're usually the oak trees that we have around here are large trees. <laughs> and so if like you start like you buy them small or yeah. you start them off as an acorn, like do you? 
does somebody need like a 20 by 20 foot area they imagine like the roots would somewhat take up or at some point take up or do you yeah. know like is that a I, don't I mean know if you know I, that question, that I have like a postage stamp backyard and I still have an oak tree growing in it so like my backyard is probably like oh I don't know I'm so bad at like judging um judging feet but it's it's like not a very it's not a very big it's like large enough for me to have like an oak tree and like a swing set and that's it (laughs) all the essentials honestly yeah who needs anything else you just like put the swing on the oak tree and then i've got like double the space yes but i would say if you can't like if you don't have the space for an oak tree like any kind of native plants are good i'll always like push people to grow pawpaw trees because they're my own personal like favorite native tree and they produce a very delicious fruit in Mm. the fall that you can eat as well and they're much smaller they're like an understory tree okay but there are native plants out there for any size backyard and budget (laughs) if you look hard enough and actually horticulture if you go and look on horticulture's site on the zoo they have recommendations for like every kind of plant every size of space you have wet dry conditions they've done the work okay so what we need to do is check out the zoo's website because there's way more info on there than i realized yeah or would have thought about in the past and then um this is uh, I don't know if you know the answer to this. If somebody plants an acorn, when could they expect to see a sapling? Or so that's going to take a really long time, right? There isn't that reward right away. Do you Usually, know? if you if you like collect the acorn like right after it comes off the tree, like within like a couple days of it coming off the tree, and you immediately like germinate it and plant it, it will like start sending like it'll start germinating like really soon okay sometimes if they wait a little bit then they're gonna need what we call a stratification so they need to go through like a winter basically like they Mm. would in the ground right so they would just like go through like three months of winter you can i just chuck them in the freezer or in the fridge (laughs) (laughs) and they like come out and wake up and they're ready to go but oak trees again they're exceptional species they don't last very long so they usually if they're gonna germinate they'll usually germinate pretty quick okay yeah, just imagine it, like, it would start growing, but you may not even notice it. Like, so it would, yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. like, 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 six a year later, like, like, oh my god, what is that? Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, do you have anything else? I got nothing. I think I speak for all of us when I, no disrespect, I say I'm glad that you didn't pursue a career in fashion. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad fashion did not work out for you. You know, it wasn't. It wasn't for me. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Yes. Uh, we appreciate all the work you thanks do. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this is really fun. Course. This is great. Yeah, thank thanks you. for your time. All those listeners, like Jenna said, check out the zoo's website for the exceptional plant list. Yeah. For some recommendations for horticulture and what to plant. Do you have any other plugs? Check no. out Crew. Crew's got a big link on the website if you're the... really interested to learn more. Yeah. I zoo stickers at local nurseries. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and like contact us. I love to like hear from people and hear what people are doing and hear people's ideas and if they want to work together, like... I'd love to hear from people. Okay. Can they find your information on the website? Yeah. Okay. Usually. Or like go through the zoo and they'll usually like direct it to me if they contact. Perfect. Awesome. Thank you so much, Megan. Thanks for all your work. Thanks Thanks for spending some time talking to us and educating us. Yeah. Thank you guys. Yeah. Anyways, I'm embarrassing (laughs) myself as usual. (laughs) Thanks for listening, everyone. Have a great day.